After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to the Baseball America Fantasy Podcast. This is your host, Jeff Ponce. As always, most of the time, alongside me is the fantasy baseball world champion, the master of the Robo Scout. That would be Dylan White. At the arrival, underscore, at the underscore arrival on Twitter. What's going on, Dylan? How are you, man? I'm not much. Uh, I'm, I'm not bad. I'm not much. Uh, I'm not just much. Ready, to, ready to answer some more mailbag questions and... Uh, and uh, interact with the fans. Yeah, exactly. So we took some more questions this time. It's uh, it's not focused specifically on FYPD. It's more general fantasy type of questions. Um, so we got four questions. We got two, I think, like quicker questions, and then we'll we'll hit a little break. We'll come back, and we got uh, two longer form questions. I think one of which, the second at least, is an interesting discussion from a, a, a strategy perspective and a team building perspective. And I think some of our answers are going to be dependent upon size, style of scoring and, and all that sort of thing for sure. Um, so Dylan, anything going on? Any good baseball stuff? Did you, did you watch the world series? I know you've been getting over some illnesses in the home. I did watch the, the, the world series. I, uh, I loved how it started. The game one with the the Seager tying home run, and then the Adolis uh, um, walk off. Um, it it looked like it was going to bode well and be a very auspicious start for like a back and forth. Um, and then it kind of didn't get that uh, that compelling by the end, <laughs> where it was like massive scoring from the Rangers and all that. Um, so kind of kind of petered out my my interest. I'm glad the Rangers won. I like the idea of the Rangers went out and and signed a bunch of high priced free agents because they wanted to make a World Series run and they succeeded. And so that I think bodes well for the the health of the sport on some level. Um, but it may also lead to some inequalities of you know spending and all that. So I don't know. But I, I was kind of glad that you know they they went out. They had a they had a strategy. They and they executed it. And uh, I'm happy for them. I also kind of I like the Diamondbacks, the plucky Diamondbacks, um, kind of competing and making it uh, a very interesting uh, playoff postseason. Um, and you know, of course, former Jays, uh, Lourdes Gurriel, Gabriel Moreno. Um, you know, we had. Uh, we had some skin in the game up here in Toronto watching that. So, pretty good series. Your old boys, you had a lot of your old boys in that series. You know, yep, that's right. Probably a little painful too, as you watch Gabriel Moreno blossom <laughs> into a Gold Glove winner and uh, you know a National League champion backstop, and you know had some big moments, some big hits. I think the bat will come along. Um, yeah, man, third, third in the lineup too. And Lourdes was, you know, was an important part of that team. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And he he, he looked kind of like the heart of the team in a way, like uh, like the the hype man in the dugout. He got the purple yeah. hair, which we're used yeah. to in Toronto. But uh, you know, it seemed like uh, he was a big uh, one of the big guys leading sort of the celebrations and all that. Yeah, exactly. He was uh, he was out there, you know, getting people hyped up. So for sure, yeah, no, I, and he had big moments. He was a good hitter. Uh, he might make some money this year too. You know. He will be a free agent, um, and uh, the Diamondbacks actually do not receive any compensation. Uh, so he can walk. I wonder if that's one of the reasons that uh, it comes kind of clear why he was a movable piece in Toronto. 
because of that contract, he, you know, there's no uh, qualifying offer, etc. So he's just out the door. He is a free agent as soon as the season ended. You'll see um, some uh, professionals from, you know, uh, Asia, Japan, Korea sign contracts like this. You'll also see some Cubans sign contracts like this where, you know, um, at the end of the actual terms, it's done. It's not a typical minor league contract that has, you know, whatever, six years of service time, et cetera. So yeah, kind of interesting. We'll see, uh, we'll see how, where he ends up in the off season. He could be an interesting player, uh, for a few different teams and a fantasy relevant guy as well. So, so we're rolling into ranking season right now. We're going to jump into the first question. Um, this is kind of an easy one, Dylan. I'm going to throw it over to you and then I'll, uh, I'll follow up with some of the most known players on my teams, but who are some of the players who show up most on your personal teams? Dylan, you're going first on this one. Who are your most rostered players across your different formats and teams this year, Dylan? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously this is kind of an easy one of just like looking at the rosters to see who's in, in common, but I was trying to find uh, maybe some reasons why I have some of these guys. Um, so I, I'm basically in three dynasty leagues, 15 team and 220 teams. And then I have a sort of like a keeper auction home league. Um, that's 12 team. Um, so I, I just look at who I have. So the guys I have in common, uh, I have like Bryce Harper, Pablo Lopez. Um, no real reason other than they're good. Um, Kodai Senga I had because he was a target in FYPDs last year. Um, so I went out and got him where I could. So I have him on, on a few teams. Um, I have some guys that I picked up mid-season, um, like JP France I have on a bunch of teams. And that was purely like a RoboScout play. I think it was uh, Jose Urquidy got injured, and then it was like a mad scramble. It was like a Sunday afternoon, I think, where the, the injury news came. And I scrambled to look at the AAA, Houston Astros, who who may get called up to take the spot. And it was JP France. So I picked him up in, in two leagues. Um, and he actually he, he uh, earned some value for us, and he was also on our main event uh, overall team that won. So JP France. Uh, will always be in my heart. Um, and for prospects, which is maybe the, the point of this question, I have across <laughs> many of my teams, John Cruz of the Yankees, the Florida team. I think you saw him when you were down there. Chase Hampton, also in the Yankees, and Connor Phillips. And again, this is just purely RoboScout. This is, I see them pop, I see the StatCast data, um, and I went out and grabbed them um, as quickly as I could. And then a third one, or a fourth one, sorry, that's a bit uh, odd, is Luke and Baker, um, huh. who I have because he was sort of number one in RoboScout for a while in AAA, um, huge power projection, got called up to the Cardinals. He hasn't really, you know, crushed yet, but uh, I have him. Um, one last comment is uh, I also had, um, and we may talk about this later, um, Kerry Carpenter, Jack Sawinski, Matt Walner on a bunch of teams, but I traded them all. Um, halfway through the season or oh. near like sort of the trade deadline. Um, and those guys are guys I picked up the year before, um, which is kind of one of my strategies is to try to pick up guys who will have um, playing time in the year following um, because they, in the off season leading in, you know, people start wanting these guys. And then if you hold on to them, you know, that will get some playing time. And, and, you know, if you're lucky, um, they'll actually be very productive. So Kerry Carpenter, Jackson, obviously very productive this year. Matt Walner, especially at the end of the year too, for the twins, um, we're good. So yeah, that's a kind of a, a long-winded um, <laughs> walk down my rosters. But uh, yeah, no, that was, a, that was kind of a fun, fun question. How, how yeah, about your yeah. teams, Jeff? Um, I, have, I have a lot of rosters, man. Um, <laughs> I'm realizing this now. Um, so... Nick Lodolo is on three or four teams. I think I have Gavin Williams just about all my teams. I have Gavin Williams on like three or four teams. Um, other guy that shows up uh, a lot is Francisco Lindor. Um, and I think it's funny because a lot of these players are guys that in these dynasty leagues that I actually had rostered as prospects. And was just really aggressive in acquiring them and then have never moved them. <laughs> and then I traded for him. A really weird one that was on like 
five of my teams this year was Adam Frazier. And the reason that I have so many shares of Adam Frazier is not because I think Adam Frazier is good, but Adam Frazier gets, uh, I'm in deeper leagues, Adam Frazier gets at bats. He has second base and outfield eligibility. So if he's my utility guy, he can serve like multiple purposes. And early in the season, like he was getting like some decent numbers, like was in a decent lineup. Um, by the end of the year, he was a little bit less valuable, but like the first half of the year, he was like the perfect utility guy. So I kept like just trading like my worst asset, like a prospect that I wasn't going to keep in the off season. And I was like, yeah, sure. Here, I'll send you this guy. And it was like, oh yeah, okay. I'll take Adam Frazier. Perfect. You know, I have a lot of him, uh, on the prospect side, I got a lot of Graham Pauly. Mm. Uh, he was somebody that he just added in a lot of leagues. Um, Got a lot of Henry Lalane. Um, I got a lot of Louis Laura. Um, I think because like Laura popped early, the assignment was super aggressive and he was hitting. And like if you were on it right away, he was basically free. And I don't think he's really broken out yet. There's a couple places where I'll have to make a keeper decision on him. And I'm not 100% sure that I'm going to do that. Um, but we'll see. Um I have Lara on, on two teams too, actually. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm trying to look at like some other prospects uh, hitting-wise that I have rostered here. Um, wish I had a list that just had like all my most rostered players. Um, Nelson Rada, I have quite a few shares of. Um, I bought Roman Anthony anywhere that I could, so I have him in a few places. Um, and there's, oh. this is like great radio right now. It's just me <laughs> silently looking through my roster. Um, oh, and I have, I have a lot of Churio. I have Churio in three different leagues and a lot of that. And I should have had Churio in four and then I got beat. It's so funny. I had bid like $25 on him and I knocked, I was like, that's probably too much. This is last year. And I knocked the bid down to 19 and this is in Highlander itch bid 20 and I ended up losing him. And like, if I hadn't gone back 10 minutes before the fab ran, I would have ended up with Cheerio and I'd still have him on my team to this day. So there you go. Um, yeah, I feel like a lot of the guys that I pick up, I have a lot of Jesus Lazardo. I'm looking at now, I can actually see on this. I, I have five teams with Jesus Lazardo. And that's one, that was another guy that uh, popped in, in rookie ball with the Nats. And he was free in all these deeper leagues. So I just added Lazardo anywhere that I could and held on in a few different places. So now, you know, he's developed into a, a pretty decent pitcher. And I have four teams with Zach Gallon. Apparently, I like Zach Gallon way more than I realized. But um, two of these, actually, I got him when he was a Marlins prospect, when he had that that really loud season in the PCL in 18 or 19. Uh, so there you go. I've uh, I, It looks like most of my good work with prospects was three years ago. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, You know what it is, is I think a lot of my rosters, and this we'll get into, and we'll get off track here, but like, I feel like a lot of my rosters are like at this cycle, like three, four years ago, I was much more like in a building period. I took over bad teams. It was startup leagues. Um, so like you kind of had that period where you're adding assets where like my teams have got most for the most part outside of like Highlander, which is pretty bad. Most of my like serious, like the teams that I really focus a lot of effort on um, that I've been in for a long time, like Raz 30 or my home league. I feel like like there's been a progression to that. They're much more like, long-term competitive window teams and i'm like i'm balancing that so like my minors in like my 30 team dynasty league because we can keep players down there and then cycle them in and out of your roster that are under i think it's a hundred total innings in season and maybe like 400 at bats there's a lot of relief pitchers that you can stash in your minors hmm. and then it's daily moves and then i can just move the minors guys back and forth and I'll have like three minors guys that are active on the major league roster. And if, you know, they 
with relievers if I can look the, the usage and say, oh, they pitched two days in a row or they pitched yesterday. This guy hasn't pitched in three days. He's going to pitch tonight. And I, and I just, so like, it's a great way to maximize inning in, innings in 30 team leagues is by using those prospect spots. Like I can't keep all those guys. Cause in this league in particular, I can only keep 25 players and you know, the way it's set up is there's a number that's maximum for prospects and maximum from, for major leaguers, et cetera. So like I trade a lot of my prospects that I draft in the off season and then like acquire in the off season and then like I wait until May and June and then it's my I want to like buy a little bit earlier, a little bit ahead of the the rush. Um, so I can then get back in again. And typically I'll sell those guys. I backfill with some of these relievers, and then I add like whoever the hot names are, like in June in the Florida Complex League or the Arizona Complex League, or even the DSL. And um the DSL is tough because no, 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 we can't sign those guys. So anyway, anyway, in DSL. And then, like, I'll bring those guys in, and then at the deadline, I try to flip those guys if they if they gain helium. Some of them did. I try to flip those guys for more reinforcements at the deadline. So, like, I feel like my the way that I use my minor leagues in that particular thirty team league is is very like in flux throughout the season. Like, there's different phases, and my minors almost serves a different purpose for my end goal of trying to compete. I, I haven't won this league and. You know, I lost in the playoffs again this year to a much better team, to the eventual champion. But there's like two super teams that everybody's been trying to overcome, and uh, we haven't quite done it yet. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. But, yeah, so I went to a very deep, detailed discussion of how I use my minor leagues. And sometimes I think that messes with, like, the amount of prospects I have in a given team because if there's no restrictions on major league or spots, like it's just like a fluid 45-man roster i'm going to add more major leaguers if my team's comp- competitive because i want to have guys that can back up my major leaguers should i deal with injury and we know the injuries certainly come to the pitches this year i'm definitely super aggressive on my prospects obviously i've i've gotten much more confident in my ability or my my belief that i can backfill prospects so i'm i had lodolo on all three of those teams that i traded him i mean one league for Jacob DeGrom in another league. I can't remember for whom. Um, another league, it was like Lodolo, Tovar, and Reese Olsen like two years ago for Jose Abreu, Jock Peterson, and someone else. I can't remember. And it was all just to yeah. get more major league depth. And we won that year, so it was worth it. But uh, like I'm just super aggressive on, on trading prospects. Um, I know I will regret it, but I, I, I've kind of talked about it before. I think it's a good, it's a good strategy because especially to lose a trade where you're giving up prospects. Um, it, it kind of buys goodwill with your, with your like <laughs> league mates. Cause they'll, they'll trade with you because they know like you're not out to like get them and you're willing yeah, to just yeah, yeah, trade yeah. like good assets. And like you're, you'll have a better chance of having trades in the future. So, and I, like I said, I have confidence that I'll be able to pick up prospects that are you know valuable later. Um, sure. So I don't, I don't regret it too much. Um, this isn't, this isn't a question uh, on the docket today. But are there certain guys that like have there been certain prospects over the last couple of years? I know there are with me guys that you just won't trade that you're like, no, I, I don't want to trade this guy, I'm not going to get the right value back. Like a Corbin Carroll, a Gunnar Henderson, somebody like you know, Yuri, someone along those lines. I'll trade anybody, Bobby. Wood I, Jr. I've traded Grayson Rodriguez a couple in a couple places. I've, I, I, uh, I'm always. I'm always willing to trade. Um, so I wouldn't trade Wyatt Langford. I wouldn't trade Wyatt Langford coming to this year. If you get him an FYPD, I would not trade Wyatt Langford, frankly. I, I, yeah, that's one that right now I wouldn't move him. I probably wouldn't move Roman Anthony. Um, and I don't think I'd move Junior Cameron Arrow. Mm-hmm. You know, Holiday, I have Holiday in a few different places. I could be coerced into trading Holiday, especially if I have a shortstop. Um, but there's a handful of guys where I think the impact could be so great immediately in a way that's hard to find. It's hard to find guys that don't strike out like Camonero, who can hit 30 bombs and could potentially be in a good lineup next year and have an opportunity to drive an 80, 80 plus, you know, 85, 90 runs, whatever. 
Um, those guys don't grow on trees, especially that young in dynasty. And I also know that like in two years, that guy's trade value is going to be insane. So there's like certain guys that like, I won't move. Like when I, I had to tease on a ton of teams, I didn't trade to tease almost anywhere. I think one place I traded to tease and I still regret it. I, it was for Ozzy Albies. And I, and like, and it was like Tatis hadn't debuted yet. It was a year before he debuted. And like Albies has been good. And like, you know, it hasn't killed, killed me. Um, but I'd still like to have Tatis. He's fun. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of did that. It's funny. At the time, I did it with Pete Alonso too. I had Pete Alonso in so many different places. And I just believed that I would never get the right value back. So when he, I got him the year before he popped and then he popped in the minors and came up. And um, I just never thought I would get the right value on him, you know? So I think there are certain guys where like, I won't trade them because I don't feel like the industry necessarily values them enough. Or they're a guy where I'm at a point where I'm like, this guy can probably start for me in June. And sometimes that can be short-sighted, you know? Um, but that's also different than trading prospects in July at the deadline or something like that. Right. Um, so there's just a handful of players that, you know, I would probably put on my do not trade list. I think Corbin would have been on that last year. Gunner would have been on that last year. Um, and probably, probably Andrew Painter, but I don't dude. you know, not, it's hard to not trade pitchers. I think I would pretty much trade any pitching prospect. Yeah, I definitely would. And we'll get into a question about pitchers and how we had all the Dynasty Leagues coming we up will later. But let's do this one quick. I think this won't be too hard, and then uh, we'll go into a quick break. Who do you think will see rise up consensus lists as the offseason goes on? They didn't specify lists, but I'm gonna I'm gonna interject here and say probably prospect lists <laughs> <laughs> or dynasty lists. Are there any players that you think the industry is low on? It's tough because we haven't really seen any rankings yet, but that you felt like going into the offseason, the industry was low on that you were like, this guy could potentially make a big jump. I have a name, and I think some of it has to do with AFL. If you want me to buy it. Yeah, I mean, those are those are my basic that's my answer, my cheap answers. I think the AFL guys that are getting buzz are just naturally because we're humans and you know, recency bias and all that stuff makes us uh overreact. Um so guys like Victor Scott, uh, Graham Pauly, Kali Rosario for winning the Home Run Derby, Colson Montgomery for winning the All Stars game. Yeah, Jacob Marseille, Delauder, Manzardo, Triantos, Caleb Durbin. <laughs> um, those guys for sure are going to be higher today than they were a month ago. Um, and I think the other answer is like FYPD guys, where um, like we just came out with our list. And so people who are updating their lists or, or having their first list come out are going to, you know, see some of the, you know, some of our work with the StatCast data that maybe they didn't have access to and then say, oh, I didn't realize that, you know, Colt Emerson was doing this or Bryce Eldridge was doing that. And they'll start, you know, bringing those guys up higher. So I think it's sort of like FYPD who had professional debuts and now they can kind of like really dig into it and look at it. Those guys will go up and then like the AFL guys who have contributed. But those are my low hanging fruit answers. Yeah, I uh, my my prime one was Victor Scott. I think some of it is justified, frankly. Um, you know, I do the Cardinal system. I had a lot of conversations with opposing scouts on Scott in particular. Um, he's going to be aggressively ranked, and his role grade is is pretty high. I'll say that. Um, the thing with Victor Scott is, I think it's legitimate. We were all like people were all over Estuary Ruiz. And this is a better version of that player. He's a better base runner. He's a better base stealer than Ruiz is. He's a better hitter than Ruiz is. He's a significantly better defender than Ruiz is. And he's faster. He's an 80 runner. He's an 80 runner that's probably a 70 in center field. Maybe an 80. He might be one of the best center field defenders in baseball. Um, against right-handed hitting, I mean pitching, Swing works. He hits for, for power. He hits for contact. It's not like outrageous power, but if you look at the splits, like it's there. 
and I know I've talked about this before, he bunts a ton against lefties, left on left, but he he's like the best bunter in the minor. Like he's a guy that just drops. I think he had like 18 base hits or something like that. Um, and a ton, a ton of really good sacrifices. Um, he uses his speed to his advantage and it looked like things might've been changing a little bit with the lefty swing there in, in AFL. Um, he had two home runs off of left-handed pitchers, which is something he had never done previously as professional over a year and a third or whatever you want to say. Um, so he's a fast mover. He was a guy that got a lot of run with the major league team last year in spring training with the Cardinals. Some of that was because of, of how, um, thin they were during the WBC because they had so many guys that were WBC, uh, players, but still, you know, a guy less than a year out of his draft to be with the major league team for several games and starting in center field uh, says a lot. And, you know, I think Scott is uh, a really unique player. So I think there's good reason why he can move up consensus lists. So the fact that he got the AFL bump, I think is justified because I do think that maybe he was a little bit underrated on lists. Um, I think he's going to hit, I don't know how crazy the power is going to be, but it's not going to be like a zero. And this is a guy that could potentially steal 70 bases. And I don't even think that's getting crazy. So I, today's Monday, November 6th, I, I went on like a tweet storm of Steamer 600 projections. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you saw it. I, yeah, um, I saw the Tyler O'Neill uh, Dalton Varsho one. <laughs> yeah, that was the first of like nine. Um, Victor Scott, I think it, they have him at... Before even debuting and professionally, he's got 250 batting average, 11 home runs, 38 stolen bases. Um, basically the same as Johan Rojas, who's very, kind of a very similar player in that, you know, excellent center field defense, um, great speed, um, not the most power. But, you know, Rojas was playing center field for the playoff team, Phillies, that almost went to the World Series. Um, so I really like that Victor Scott call. I think it's like slam dunk top 100 prospect for fantasy for sure. Maybe even top 50 just on the fact that he might be top 100 for real life, to be honest with you. I think yeah, 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 exactly. So <laughs> yeah, that's a great, that's a great call. I like that. Yeah. I think he's going to get a huge bump. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's tough because I feel like a lot of the FYPD guys have already gotten their bump. The F FSL guys, uh, excuse me, Florida Complex League and, and Arizona Complex League, those guys have gotten their bump. Um, yeah, you know, I'll throw a name out here. And I don't know if people will do the work and see it because the numbers, like Robo Scout doesn't love them. Um, but Louis Morales from the Athletics, mm -hmm. Cuban, really interesting stuff. Like, good stuff and there's starter traits there and it's super easy i don't think he's blown up yet he's a guy that i've been talking with mark chiarelli about uh in the background you know as he's doing his athletics rankings and we're just chatting about pitchers and players as we do and he's a guy that like i really like like he was like you know anything about louis morales and i went in i pulled up the tape and started watching some tape and i'm like damn this is pretty like it moves. Uh, he's got some ride in the fastball. He's at least um, secondaries are okay. All right. He's out of Cuba, you know, so he, he maybe lost a little development time he's making up for. Um, he's a little bit more off the beaten path, but I think he might be better than um, some guys that are, that are ranked ahead of him. Frankly, he's a really, really interesting arm. And, uh, I think uh, has a chance to move up. I just don't know if others are going to necessarily be hyping the guy because it's been, you know, his track record is, is really minimal. You know, um, he's got like what, like 35 professional innings somewhere around there. Um, 44, excuse me, 44 professional innings. So yeah. Interesting player though. Somebody that, uh, I think could potentially make a good, a big jump because his stuff is good. Uh, Oakland athletics, you know, questions notwithstanding. Um, mm -hmm. But you know, they still got some guys. They got, they got Zach Geloff. You want him on your fantasy team. Come on. Right. We're not lying there. 
he, right, Luis Dylan. Morales was one. He was one of the guys on my short list of uh, underrated pitching prospects per Robo Scout, and I just and did because the stuff like we have our little internal stuff plus model. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, he was doing really well, and I'm like, ah, you know, Robo Scout doesn't actually love him that much, and I don't want to just talk about the stuff. So he didn't make the the cut, but I totally agree with you that the stuff's very very fascinating, very intriguing. Yeah, and um, he was a guy that uh, I. Th- think just defected from cuba like a year ago um and then signed for for three million back in january so like he just he just signed this is his professional debut stateside at least but yeah i mean you're talking about a guy that sits what four to eight he'll touch a hundred you know can spin a couple different breaking balls he's got to change up and it's really good fastball shape and you know he's six three it's not a it's not a small body and uh he moves really well in the mountains. So he's another guy I think that can move up. I don't know if you have any other names you maybe came to mind or you want to shout out. Otherwise we'll we'll jump into the break and handle the other two questions on the other side. I got no more names. All right, we're taking a break. <laughs> we'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't a search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. That's why I use Indeed for our hiring at Baseball America. It allows me to do everything on one website, I get quality candidates. I can schedule them. I can interview them. I can screen them. I can send messages to them all within Indeed. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes. Ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hope you enjoyed your break. We're back. Um, I hope it was a valuable advertisement that uh, JJ was pitching to you, whatever it might be. Um, this question's for me, Dylan, so I'm going to handle it quick. It says, this is for Jeff. How do you factor in feedback you get from your peers in the scouting industry? I wouldn't call them peers. I would say that they are uh, friends, friends, contacts, people who will respond to me when I ask them questions. I, 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 am, not, I am no scout, sir. Um, as much as I would like to be, uh, scouting industry, uh, in terms of player makeup, I imagine you hear stuff that the general public isn't privy to. Um, yeah, I mean, I hear things that the general public isn't privy to, and I then share all the dirty details with, uh, Dylan. So he's well aware. <laughs> um, but here's the thing, right. And, and, and I hate to say it like this, but I think there's some different components of makeup. Okay. And I was, I was, I don't know if I talked about this on air last week with, with Matt Pajak or if we discussed it off air, but I sort of feel like there's different 
types of makeup. Like there's the on field makeup, which like Tommy Pham on the field has makeup in spades, right? He's gritty. He plays hard all the time. He never takes off in a bat. He plays with emotion. He wants to win, right? Then you got that clubhouse guy, right? You have the clubhouse makeup, which is like your Lord of Scuriel you're talking about. Guy in the top step, guy chairing his teammates, guy that keeps everybody loose, you know, guy that can be a vocal leader in the clubhouse. And then you have the off the field makeup, the things that guys do off the field and the things that may get them in trouble off the field. The problem is we see the on the field makeup. And I think to an extent you could kind of get a feel for the clubhouse makeup, but maybe not really. Um, and it's tough with prospects because guys grow up, they're kids. You know, these guys are young. Um, it's the off the field stuff that I think we hear about and can be the most troubling. And I hate to say it this bluntly, but not everybody that plays baseball is a saint, dude. And they don't all behave themselves off the field. And some of them are really good players. I think I had somebody say this to me a while back, but he was like, you know, dickheads can be good players too. It's like, it doesn't, the makeup stuff is, is, you know, it's, it's what you make it. Um, I try not to let it cloud my judgment because I don't think that I have a good grip on truly what a guy's makeup is. A guy might have made mistakes off the field as a kid, as a 17-year-old kid or something. I'm not going to hold that against them. Um, I think when there is a work ethic problem, it's a different thing. But I think that stuff tends to manifest itself in play and production, you know. Um, so I guess like long story short, I, I don't know how much makeup stuff I, I necessarily work into ranks. Um, cause you know, there's so many ways to skin that. Right. I just, I think, it, I think when you start to get into there, you're making very subjective judgments about other people and you're not privy to all the information. You're not in the clubhouse. Unless you have a friend who's in the clubhouse and multiple people who will back you on stuff and tell you, hey, this guy's like this. I don't know if you really know anything. You know, there's been plenty of guys who were jerks in the minor leagues that made multiple all-star teams. It happens, you know. So yeah, I don't know. I think um I, I think the makeup stuff is more on the field. That's what we should care about. It's it's putting in the work, getting, you know, doing the 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 grind, you know, making sure that you're improving the areas that you're deficient, um, working out in the right ways, listening to coaches, that sort of stuff. And I just think it's so tough for us to really get a grip on that. Cause even, even their coaches may not necessarily tell us the truth when we speak to them about that sort of thing, you know? So yeah, I don't know, Dylan. Uh, I don't think we've had too many, how many players have we ever knocked down for makeup? Right. I don't really knock them down because I think what you said, like with the talent, like, you know, there's some some jerks out there <laughs> who are good ball players. Like, so I give them the, the benefit of the doubt in some way, um, not for like illegal off the field stuff, but just like, you know, the guy is super competitive or smashed his bat or whatever it is. And like, is that good or is that bad? I don't really know. But if I hear if I hear that, you know, like a club loves someone's makeup, then. I do note that I did consider that more signal than noise. Cause I think they will, the club, the organization will give that player, you know, maybe more opportunities that, you know, they're kind of, he's in their good book, good books or something. Maybe so, I like as a tiebreaker, the public hears that though. Don't you think, I feel like that kind of stuff. Like when you hear like Sal Frelick has incredible makeup and he's a really hard worker. Like they'll do a segment on that guy, you know, but they're not going to tell you that. You know, this second round pick from three years ago doesn't like to show up to practice and, you know, won't do his, his conditioning work or something, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like, I guess I took it negatively. Maybe I didn't need to. Maybe I could have looked at it from a positive standpoint like you did, Dylan. Shows our two mentalities. I'm a jerk. <laughs> but he, he thought they were trying to. Um, but I don't know. I feel like the general, po- the positive makeup stuff tends to make its way out into the public space in one way or another, you know, um, like Travis Bazana, 
If you read anything on Travis Pizzana, his makeup comes up every single time. His work ethic comes up every single time, you know? Um, so I feel a lot, I feel agents also want to get that stuff out there. That's <laughs> the other thing. Agents want you to know how hard their guy is working. Um, so that stuff gets out there, you know? Um, there's other guys that we find out like, hey, he's really stupid, but Jordan Montgomery says he's stupid. And he didn't listen to any of the Yankees do something in like, you know, I think he, he's married to a doctor and like is a good pitcher. He had some comment about being the, or she likes how stupid he is or something like that, you know? So, and he's a world series like, winner. It's not rocket science all the time. Right. Um, well, I hope we answered your question there. This is a really interesting one. And we'll end the show with this one. It's a little bit more, more long form. Um, what is your approach to targeting pitching prospects? I'm in a deeper 20 team league where pitchers can go from little value to huge asks if they have success after their debuts. He gave examples of, or they gave examples of Andrew Abbott or Cole Reagans. I don't know if it's been on female, so I don't want to say him. Uh, what's the best way to build a pitching staff without paying up later? Um, I think this is a really interesting one. Um, Cause I think that, the prevailing wisdom in dynasty leagues, I would say, is typically build out your minors with with hitting prospects and, and trade them for pitchers when you need them. Um, and I don't know if it's necessarily always like 100% the way that you should move. Um, I do think there are times in certain pitching prospects that are, that are worth rostering. Um, and I think sometimes it's the guy, the Zach Gallon, the Andrew Abbott, the guy who doesn't have a lot of helium, he's probably widely available in most leagues where under 500 prospects are owned. And he comes out and performs well early in AAA. Those are the guys to go out and get. And even if you can get him as like a secondary piece in a trade or something, I feel like those are the guys time and time again we see come up and, and have success and have the biggest value jumps that you can get for relatively low dollars prior to their call-ups, depending upon the league and the size and all that sort of thing. But not a perfect example here, but you could have gotten Cole Reagans for pretty cheap. And I bet you even after his first couple of good starts, you probably could have traded for him and gotten him for fairly cheap, you know? Um, so sometimes it's those guys that are having success in the upper minors. And if they're on the 40-man roster, even better, Right. Um, cause then you're cooking with gas, then you got an op or they're going to be due for the 40 man roster at the end of the year. Right. Then it's like, it's not such a big deal if the team puts that guy on, cause they're going to have to make a space for him anyway. There's opportunity there and he's ready and pitching well in triple a go after him. So I would say, look for the guys that maybe are outside the top 100, top 200 on a lot of these lists didn't have helium, weren't high picks, but have performed and are in the upper minors and maybe there's an opportunity for them to, to get into uh, and even double a, it could even be double a. I mean, we saw a ton of guys this year get promoted directly from double a, right. Especially if they're like Mariners guys, uh, they seem to skip Tacoma entirely <laughs> with their best pitching prospects. So yeah, I think that's my answer is just, is look at the upper minors guys. And I think like it's something I utilize this year with some hitters in some leagues. And I know that we've talked about it on the show and, written about it but i think like it's what's really valuable with robo scout early in the year too is you can see some of those performances and guys that are doing well that maybe are not as sexy names not as heavily rostered in leagues and see like all right well this guy's outperforming this guy and hey if i look at the roster oh wow they got a hole they got louis sessa starting games here and he just gave up 11 runs in the first two innings with only getting five, you know four outs um andrew abbott's really crushing it it would make sense for him to come up and 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 get an opportunity so i think those are the guys to go after and um i think it's also a way to uh limit how much you have to spend on other pitchers or you only have to go after one big guy and you can combine all your assets into going and getting your your ace whoever that might be um your corbin burns or you know your zach gallon uh your blake snell what have you whatever year it might be we'll have different names because <laughs> they're always in flux but 
what do you say, Dylan? What are your what are your thoughts on this? I kind of took it a little bit more, I think, from a a twenty to thirty team league look. Uh, but there's it's certainly not the only way to go get pitching. So, what are your thoughts on this in terms of acquiring uh, pitching uh, before it gets too expensive? Yeah, I don't I don't like paying for for pitching for unproven pitching. So Andrew Abbott, Cole Reagans, they were the sort of the examples. Uh, that was given. I, I would not trade for those guys unless you really believe in them. I know you're a, a Cole Reagans fan right now. Um, so I, I, it totally makes sense to trade for him. I wouldn't trade for him right now, like a Cole Reagans or an Andrew Abbott. I think once they're known, it's the price is either too high or it's too risky. So like even like Cade Horton, Robbie Snelling, these guys who are Ricky Tiedemann, I, I won't pay for Ricky Tiedemann or make those trades um, for those guys because I feel it's just my strat, not my strategy, it's just my approach. I feel the ship has sailed. I'm not going to do it. Um, so I guess what that means is I go for like just before they're in the upper upper levels. So just like the Chase Hampton, Connor Phillips, like I was mentioning, Andrew Abbott beforehand um, using RoboScout, that sort of thing. I'll, Henry Lalane, who you mentioned earlier. Um, these are the guys that Emmett Sheehan I had in, in before as well. Before they become names is what I will invest um, cheaply in in just picking up in, in fab. Um, I won't trade for them um, because I've been burned so many times. I've been burned on Casey Mize. I've been burned on Andrew Painter. I've been burned on Mitch Keller, Tyler Glass now. Uh, I've been burned on Jesus Lazardo, and then I traded Jesus Lazardo, and now I'm kind of getting burned again because he's now becoming the guy I wanted. It it takes so long in my, like anecdotally, empirically, it feels like it takes so long for a pitcher to become the guy you want. Grayson Rodriguez took a while too. Um, well, maybe not a while, but it's, you, you could, you could get so much value for him for such a long time. And then now only is he started to become the guy that, you know, you were hoping for, but in the meantime, you know, years and years have passed. So my personal approach is I don't pay for pitching, especially pitching prospects. I'll get in early and I'll be quick to trade them. Um, just because of the attrition rate. And I don't mean that like, they're not going to pan out and not become value, valuable contributors. I just mean the attrition rate for like in any given year, they may just lose a year and then they're going to come back the year after and they're going to be slowly eased in. And it's just not worth that hassle. Um, so I just quickly transform them into, you know, like an Alex Cobb or an Anthony Ovaldi. Um, I know that the question was more about pitching prospects, but like I, I try to trade for veteran pitchers from rebuilding teams because those are the the players that rebuilding teams do not want. They don't want to hold a Charlie Morton because that person is of no use to them. Um, Nathan Ovaldi, Alex Cobb, like I said, those types of guys, you Darvish, you can get these guys cheap and they're reasonably productive contributors. Um, and so I, because I trade for my major league pitching, um, I use my, my uh, pitching prospects as, you know, currency where, wherever I can, or I hold on to them because I got in on, on them very cheap, like Yuri Perez or like Henry Lane, I'm hoping is going to be become that type of person. So um, I, but I'm cutthroat. I mean, as we talked about at the beginning, <laughs> the first question, I'm just, I had Lodolo everywhere, traded him. Grayson Rodriguez traded him. Like all these guys I have, I'm willing to trade because I, if I can get value that's going to contribute to my team right now, I will do it because I feel I can just backfill. Like Sawyer Gibson Long was, we'll see how he turns out, but he was not well-regarded and he was a contributor. Joe Boyle was a, was a contributor for Oakland A's this year. Um, Reese Olsen was a very good contributor. JP France, like I mentioned as well, like you can find guys who can contribute um, without having to invest a lot of, you know, capital stock into it. Um, maybe, maybe that's just how it is right now and that the pendulum is going to shift, but, uh, I kind of feel that it's, it's not that worthy of an investment to, to invest in pitching. Yeah, probably not. Um, I don't know. I think you can pick your spots. I'm a little bit more apt to take the risk of trading for some of these guys right before they get called up. Um, cause I think it's hard to value them. So if you have a clear value in like 
we know the data, we know what they're throwing. We usually have some amateur track record on a lot of these guys. So I don't know. I do well there. Like, I feel like that's an area where I can, I can typically find pitching um, or just guys in the second and third rounds of FYPDs that slide down a little bit. And you're like, that guy's probably going a little bit too low. Probably worth taking him here versus this third round bat or something that has a lot of hype, but maybe it doesn't work out. So, yeah, I mean, it's your skill to, to get pitchers. You do it, right? Yuri Perez, Gavin Williams, Bobby Miller, like all these, Mason Miller, like these guys are incredibly valuable dynasty assets. Yeah. Um, and it's definitely not a losing proposition to have those guys. You just have to be able to find which guys are going to be those guys. Um, and I am not the best at it. <laughs> I, I, have, I have, you know, one in three don't pan out at all. And then, you know, one in three. Oh, there's, there's going to be some, there's going to be some <laughs> risk with it for sure. You know, um, you're going to have some, some boo-boos that you got to get over. But like, I think there's also times where you'll have ups and downs with a guy and you end up sticking with him, and all of a sudden, it pans out. I'd have to go back, but I feel like I went through that a little bit with like Kyler Molly. And now of course he's injured, but like he went from being a guy that I, I added for like really cheap when he was like in double a and came up, whatever. I had some reasons that I rostered in this league. We have to, it's all 30 teams are named after a major league team. So we all have to roster some players or some prospects from that system. And I had the reds. So I had Molly and, um, he blossomed into a pretty good player. And then I, I turned down trades from him the beginning of this year because I needed my pitching depth. And then he gets hurt, has Tommy John surgery. And uh, now I can't trade him, Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> That's the tough, tricky part about pitching is uh, you can constantly be up against it and chasing it. And, you know, not necessarily uh, – not necessarily find it. So anyway, that's uh, our four questions, our show for this week. Dylan, anything you want to say to the people before we wrap up here? Mm, no, we just, uh, like you said, we are, we're in ranking season, uh, deep into ranking season, putting those together. So we'll have those come out in the next month or so. Uh, maybe with some dynasty strategy articles some evergreen dynasty explaining what dynasty leagues are strategies, how to, how to play and how to win, of course, um, yeah. all that coming up. So, yeah. All the good stuff. Well, thanks for tuning in. It's been the baseball America fantasy podcast. Cheers. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.